hour here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And we talked about the, the, the possibility, you know, what I shared was that there was a, there was a real possibility that, that, the, that Lydia had a part, that a woman had a part in the founding of the church there at, at uh, Thyatira. And we don't have any reason to, to we, don't, we can't know that. There's nothing that would indicate that. But it's certainly in the realm of possibility, the fact that she's from that area and uh, she was involved in, in business and stuff. So very possible that Lydia, this woman, had a, had a part in the founding of the church. But as we read here in these scriptures, we read this, we see that a woman definitely played a prominent part in the foundering of this church. And that's what we're, that's what we're going to look at tonight is, is, is the good and the bad of what was going on. If you need the outline, just slip your hand up and, and uh, okay, I hope we have enough. If not, maybe somebody can share. But this church, this church was made shipwrecked over the preaching and the precepts and the practices of a woman. And some versions translate the phrase there where, where it says that woman Jezebel. Uh, some translate that as thy woman Jezebel. Jezebel. And if that reading is correct, then what, what that indicates is this, or what we can infer from that is that the woman who was, the, the, this woman being spoken of, that she was the wife of a residing elder, uh, there. And so the, the, the picture of this, the painting of this is, is not very good. It's pleasant. It's, it's a dirty, painted with a broad and a dirty, dirty brush of, of what this woman, who she was, what she was doing and what was going on there. Now she's called Jezebel after the wickedest woman in Old Testament times. So, and so everybody I think would be aware of this, but to call a woman a Jezebel is, is every bit as bad, if not worse, than calling a man a Judas. I mean, there's, I think there's a whole lot more in call, in, involved with calling someone, for someone to be a Jezebel, to have the spirit of Jezebel, than, than even for a man to be a Judas. That indicates a traitor, someone that's a backstabber. But man, to, to be a Jezebel, there's so much involved with that, and we're going to talk about that. So some commentators, as I'm reading this, said that she was probably a very attractive woman, no doubt possessed of a, of a charming personality, a most persuasive tongue, forcible, uh, forceful ideas, and great, probably great leadership qualities. Uh, she was, it seems, a woman who towered over and cast a shadow on, on most of the men. And it was, we've, we've seen women like that. We know women like that who are strong, strong leaders. And she was, she was definitely of this. Now, understand this. What the Lord is telling here, there is, this is not, now with Jezebel, there may not be a literal name, a woman named Jezebel, but there is a woman in the church, and he's going to talk about what has gone on. So if it's her husband, if, if, it, if her husband was an elder or if he was the pastor, but if that's the case, then her husband and the board of elders were eating out of her hand. And uh, that woman Jezebel, as Scripture says, it, it may be that, that her real name uh, fit like a glove. Amen? Because what we're going to see, that name fit her. That may not have been her actual name, but it fit her. So point A right there, we look at this, says what the Lord detected about this church. Now the letter begins as usual with the Lord making pointed reference to himself. Every letter, we, we, there's, a, there's really a model we see there. And, and the Lord had told in chapter 1, that as he described himself, as he revealed himself, and he was described. When we get into the letters, we see that he goes back to those characteristics are brought into those letters at the beginning. And we're going to see that here. The Lord says, these things says the Lord, uh, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now, have you ever heard someone speak of, of a person's uh, eyes flashing? 
You ever heard that? What does that mean? It means they're really happy, right? That's not what it means, is it? If someone's eyes flashing, I hate to even do this. Y'all all know it. We're in Geneva. Everybody's listening to country music. Garth Brooks had a song, and he talked about lightning and the lightning flashing in her eyes. And, and, and you know that she's found out he's been cheating on her. And, and that's, the, that's the idea of that song. But it's lightning flashes. And I, I think in, a lot of times in country music especially, I'm not a fan of country music, so don't. back in the day I did listen to some Garth, though. But, um, <laughs> but in that, there's a, a multi-layered right there. So the lightning flashed in her eyes, but not just the lightning. There was, there was flame in her eyes. So there, it says here that his eyes were like a flame of fire. And, and so there's, there, 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 was, there was more than enough in this church to make the Lord's eyes blaze with indignation. There was a lot in this church. His eyes were flashing with indignation. So his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. His feet were like polished bronze. And bronze in the scripture is always a symbol of judgment. So as the Lord looks at Thyatira and he sees what a harvest of wickedness will grow from this satanic seed that's being sown by this woman Jezebel, he he shoes his feet with bronze. And that's what he's saying. He's talking about bronze. So judgment begins in the house of God. Amen. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's going to bring judgment. He's, and we're going to see he's very patient, but he's going to bring judgment here. That's, um, that was number one, that what he emphasized, and I probably didn't tell you this, what he emphasized about himself. That's what he emphasized about himself. Number two, what he emphasized about his people. Look at verse 19. It says, I know your works. Love, service. Now, he says that I think every letter, if I remember correctly, every letter begins with that. He says, I know your works. Now, that can be good or bad. Amen? I mean, it can be a good or bad statement that I know your works. And, uh, but he says, I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, I'll just say this here, as, as, as I've shared as I'm studying and I read different, and I read a broad spectrum of, of guys in, in this, a lot of different writers. And it's interesting in certain points, the different perspectives that they bring. One of the commentators I read, and I totally disagree with him, he really said that this was emphasizing the dead works of the church. And, and all this is being said here, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith. And it was like, these are all dead works within this church. But that's not really the context as you read this. And, and I'll prove it. I think I'll prove it here in a moment as we get through this. But he says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So we notice the emphasis on works. And, I, and I, he says, I know your works and love and service, faith and patience, your works, and, and the last are more than the first. The emphasis was on works. That's what, it, what you're seeing here. It starts with works. It ends with works. The, the, the last was more than the first. The emphasis was on works. Works are well and good in their proper place. Amen. But, but they become a deadly peril when they come between our soul and, and Christ. You with me? Are you with me? Shake your head, yeah or no, if you're not sure what I'm saying. Because here's the thing. We can get caught up in works, and we, we're, not, we're not worried about the Lord at all. 
There's a prayer I've prayed for years now, for years, especially at the start of the year. I really pray, I pray this way, that Lord, don't let me get so caught up in the work of the Lord that I, that I, that I lose sight of the Lord of the work. Amen? So, so we can get so caught up in the nuts and the bolts and the doing that we don't even act like a Christian. We get mad about everything. We pop off about this or that and we think I own this or this is my thing and, we, and we, we're so caught up in the works that we've got our, you know, we're so caught up in the works that we're doing for the Lord that we've got our eyes off of the Lord that we're doing the works for. And so it's a danger that we can have. And so, so we have to be careful with that. Um, worship in Scripture comes before service. Worship, now I'm talking about worship. I'm not talking about we as believers coming into the house and worshiping. And it, and it does. Even in that context, we worship before we serve. If you're not worshiping, how can you serve? And I'm going to, let me, let me, I'm going to chase some rabbits right here. Okay, so we want everybody in the church to be serving. But I want to tell you, if you're out of church for a month and a half, don't think you're going to be serving. Because I don't want you to show up at church and the first thing you do coming back when you've been out for a while is you're stuck in the nursery or in the preschool or you've got to go over here and do this or that. No, what we're going to want you to do then is come and sit and, and, and worship and be fed. Not pouring out more because if you haven't been here, maybe you haven't been poured into for a while. Does that make sense? So you got to worship first. And, and, and folks, that's why we, 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 we will continue to encourage you, to exhort you. We only have three services a week. We, when I was, let's see, when I first got saved, we had, we had four services a week. Sometimes it would be five things, but we, we did Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Well, we don't do Sunday night. If, if I thought I could get more than ten people here, I'd do Sunday night in a heartbeat. But I think I'd have nine people would say, yeah, preacher, let's do it. I'd have 10 that would say, yeah, and then I'd have nine that wouldn't show up. It'd be me and Gina and Jesse. <laughs> I don't know about Jesse, though. I don't know if I... But, but I'm serious. I loved Sunday night. Sunday night was my favorite. This, this has taken the place for me of Sunday night because this is, this is close family, okay? This is, this is not the crowd. Sunday morning's the crowd. We have the, the body of Christ here. We have, we have guests that come in. We have people that show up every six weeks to come. Praise God, I'm glad they're here. But what we want is the ones that are coming every six weeks to start coming every three weeks, and then start coming every other week, and then to come every week. And then go, boy, I need to get connected in Sunday small groups. And, and when you connect over there, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know, are you in Sunday school? Are you in Sunday small groups? Because if you're not, you're missing it. You're not really connecting to the church if you're not in Sunday small groups. You need to get in those Sunday small groups. You need to build relationships in there. And here's a phrase I use a lot. It, it helps you get sticky. If the only time you come to church is Sunday morning, it's easy not to be sticky. In fact, you're probably slippery. It's easy to slip right out of, you know, ain't no, you get no grip on me. And we're not, we're not trying to oh, grab onto We don't want to grab onto you. We want to help you get connected because we want you to grow. And as you're here Sunday morning, you're here for small groups, you're here for the service on Sunday morning, you're here on Wednesday night, and I'm not legalistic about attendance, but I think when we have church, we as the body ought to be here. If, 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 if we don't need to have it, then why are we having it? Amen? So we encourage you to, to, to be here as much as possible so you can grow, and then it opens up the opportunities for you to serve. 
And we still have, we still have needs in our children's ministry. We need more people in nursery. We need more people in extended session. We need more people in our preschool. We need more people in teaching Sunday school. Right now, I think we're down to two teachers teaching our children's Sunday school. Two people that are committed to that right now. Now, I'm not trying to browbeat anybody. But if every member of the church connected somewhere, then we don't have the 80-20 where 80% of the work's been done by 20% of the people. This is a body, folks, right? It's a body. If you're a member, if you're not a member, you can ignore me right now. No, if you're not a member, you need to become a member, okay? And if you are a member, and if you are a member, you need to be listening to what I'm saying because you need to get more, you need to get more connected. That's how we grow. You grow through serving. You go through sitting and learning and, and all that. But, man, you may go, well, I don't know enough to teach Children, you know what? We'll help you learn how to teach, but I'll promise you this. You'll learn more by teaching a Sunday school class than you will by sitting under me or Raymond or John or anybody. Had a guy years ago, got saved. He hadn't been saved all that long, and uh, he, was, he was attending Sunday school, and I, my job was to help get people connected, assimilating, assimilating people into the church. And I went to him, and I said, Jeremy, I said, I, you know, I've been praying about this and looking at this, and... You know, I really think you, I think you'd be great in this, we have a need in this children's class. I think you would be great for that. Oh, no, no, I could never do that. I don't don't know enough. You know, I haven't been a Christian all that long. I don't know. I said, well, Jeremy, I think you're a man of integrity. And if you had to teach that class, I think you're a guy that would sit and you would study during the week. If you put in 20 minutes a night studying through the material, you'd be ready come Sunday morning. And he said, I don't know, I don't know. Finally, Jeremy said, I'll try it. So he got in taking like third or fourth grade class. It wasn't six, seven months, Jeremy came to me and said, God's called me to preach. I mean, he he grew a whole lot more by getting connected in that class and preparing. Uh, as, As good a preacher as, I'm not telling you missed the service, right? As good a preacher as I think I am. That's sarcasm. Y'all can laugh. That is, you're gonna get a nugget. Hopefully, hopefully you get a nugget. If you get something, you're going to go out of here maybe with a nugget on Sunday mornings, okay? Maybe on Wednesday night, you walk out of here with a nugget. You, you start teaching a Sunday school class, you'll learn everything that you're preparing to teach. You'll learn so much more than coming and listening to me. Or, or even Raymond. Raymond's a lot better teacher than I am, I think. But you'll get a nugget, Right? What was that about, preacher? I want you to grow. And that's how we grow. Get, get more and more connected. Get more and more connected. That's how we grow. I don't know where I'm at here. Works. Worship. Worship in Scripture comes before service, and it does. We've got to worship first. But really what, what that means is if you're not a believer, you, then you're not worshiping. You can't be serving a God that you don't even have faith in. You've got to worship. You have to worship. Worship always precedes service. And so we just carry that out. Uh, so the Lord always says, come, before he says, go. But once he said, come, and we have come, then he says, go, and we need to go. 
Uh, The classic New Testament example of this is Mary and Martha. The Lord had to say to Martha, who was upset because she seemingly was left out, uh, left with all the work while while Mary was just sitting there at Jesus' feet. There in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, it says, uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord is answering Martha, says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good thing. What did the Lord just say there? One thing is needed. He didn't criticize her for serving. He, he, but, he, but he did say one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And what was that? It was to sit at the Lord's feet and, 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 and worship him. And you know what? When the right time, when it's the right time to worship and we worship, then we can get up from there and go serve. And there's a right time to serve. The Lord is looking for worship from his people. The Lord Jesus made one of the most amazing statements about this to a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, he said, said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We must worship him in spirit because of what he is. And we must worship in truth because of what we are. And the Father seeks, he is seeking such to worship him. We are to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So the Lord knows. He says here, the Lord knows their works. And I'm going to tell you, works are credentials for real faith. It's kind of your your evidence of of real faith. And uh, now I'll say this, uh, that's not a foolproof thing. There are people that... There are people who are work, 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 trying to work their way to heaven. They think that's their thing. That's why I'm going to come, I'm going to check my box each week. I'm going I'm to get my card punched uh, because I'm doing it out of, you know, I got to do that. I got to do that so I can go to heaven. No, folks, we don't serve to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. We, we serve out of a grateful heart for what God's done for us. And, and we want to serve him because of our salvation, not for salvation. You with me? So works are a credential for faith, but it's real works. And James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Talking about a, a dead faith. I'm gonna, he says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to live out my faith in how I serve God because it, it compels me to go and serve so they're serving there. He knew their works. He also knew their love. And this is what I wanted to get to and share with you. This is how I, I, why I believe that, that this is not about dead works. This, this sentence is not just, the Lord's not just making a statement and highlighting their dead works. He was highlighting the good the church was doing. There are those in the church that are holding true to the faith. They are serving the Lord faith. And here's how I know. Because that word love right there, that's the word, it's agape. It's agape love. This is not dead works, as he suggested. This, this is agape love. There were those in the church who had, they were doing work out of, driven by their faith in the Lord. They were, they were loving people. Agape love, service, faith, and your patience. He speaks of their patience. And that patience is, is enduring through the difficulties that are all around them. I mean, you got Jezebel who's running rampant in this church, and we're about to get to that. But, but they're enduring. They're enduring through this difficult time. And, uh, and as for your works, he comes on again and says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. These works increased. They didn't decrease. So when things got tough, when things got hard, they didn't pull back. They didn't lighten up. They kept on. They kept on, kept on. In fact, they were doing more 
for the Lord. They were increasing in their service to the Lord. Okay, so B, we get to B here, what the Lord detested about the church, what the Lord detested about the church. Verse 20 through 23, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And you see there, he says she calls herself. He didn't call her a prophetess. No one else did. She calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her uh, into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I, uh, I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So the, the church there at Thyatira had become a hotbed of heresy. And, and the Lord says four things about the false teaching and the false conduct uh, there at Thyatira. The first is this, the source of the her heresy. We see first the source of the heresy. First there was, uh, in this church, there was a, an indulgent permissiveness. There was an indulgent permissiveness. He says, you allow, you allow, that's permissiveness. They, they're allowing this to go on. You allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, a prophetess, prophetess to teach. The application is this to our to our our, our day, and it, and it's evident to us that we're living. You know, today we're living in, in a most this tolerant day, right? This tolerant age, and everyone must be allowed to do their thing. That's that's where we're at. Have y'all heard about the kids in the school that that are walking around on all fours? I, this is no lie. The kids, there's some kids in the school who are walking on their hands and feet. They have cut holes in the back of their pants and they're running tails out. And they are identifying as felines or foxes. I heard, I heard talk. Now, I have not read this, so I'm, I'm going on. I don't even remember where I heard it. But there is a school somewhere that has put litter boxes in the bathrooms. Yes. I don't remember where. I'm, I'll, research, I'll research that. But they put litter boxes in there for the kids who are identifying as cats. I told y'all, I think I... Man, no, don't chase that rabbit. Help me, Lord. I want to chase that rabbit. I'm going to stop. Ah. I don't even know where I'm at. Doing their thing, doing their own thing. That's, what, that's the age we're in. That's the day we're in. And it doesn't matter what truth is. It doesn't matter what right is. It, it, it's people want to do what they want to do. And it's more than the extreme of, I've shared, you know, I've shared with that. That's that sin attitude. That was my daughter at two years old, year and a half, just crawling, going across the floor. Jordan, no. You know, that's what we do. I do what I want to do. I do what I want to do. That's what we do. And see, that's, we've taken that to the extreme, and sin is taking it to the extreme. Again, remember who we battle. 
We're not battling flesh and blood. We're battling Satan. This stuff is demonic. This is satanic, what he is doing. And, the, and you get into this, a psychologist was on the radio. I'm telling you, I was listening to this on the way in the office this morning. And they were talking to the psychologist, talking about it. He said, I'm not surprised that this has happened. When, when the things that we've been going, it's just a matter of time before somebody identifies as that. And when you got this whole mass movement that way, then somebody's going to go, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And they want to be, I'm a cat. I'm a, I'm a fox and they have a tail. And, and, and you, you know, I, it would be funny if it weren't so sad that this is, this is where it's going. But it ain't just out in the world, folks. It's coming into the church here. The Lord, is, the Lord is dealing with them, and he's talking about this indulgent permissiveness. Everybody wants to do their own thing. And, and where we're at today, again, this is, this is the age of relativism. And it's the age of relativism and, and of uh, syncretism in religion. So it's, you know, it can be everything combined together. We'll just take the best of everything, put it together, and we'll do that. We'll do what we want to do. Except that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us how we're to worship and how we're to serve Him. So um, the world today would say there's no absolutes except in whatever they want to believe. Then that's absolutely okay, and that's an absolutely should be. And we're absolutely fanatics, and we're absolutely wrong, and we're all these. So there's no absolutes except when they want to be absolute. Again, let the let. Let this world and this system and all that speak, and they're going to show you exactly what they believe. So the, the spirit of this age, though, has crept into the church. It crept into the church there. Folks, it's creeping into church here. It's creeping into church today. All throughout America, we have, we have this very thing is going on. So um, if, we, if we denounce a belief as heresy or we stand firm on the truths of Scripture, you know what? We're branded as intolerant. We're intolerant. Well, I'm intolerant, folks. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. And if, if, I'm, if I'm wrong on the Word of God, I want to be shown, I want to be corrected on the Word of God because I want to stand on the Word of God. I've been, I've been uh, you know, I was talking with John tonight and just sharing something with him that, that we've been dealing with and I've been dealing with and I've been making phone calls this week. I've been calling for counsel. We've talked about some things, and I'm seeking counsel from pastor friends. I'm talking to Glenn Rogers. I'm calling one of my best friends. He's probably the smartest guy I know on Scripture and just running some things by him because I want to make sure I'm standing on the right side of Scripture on, on this. I don't want to be somewhere and, and look back and go, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. I want to make sure we're, we're in right footing. So certainly there's no room for bigotry, but to accept anything in the name of Christian love, that's a, that's a spirit that's foreign to Scripture. When I say anything, I'm talking about just anything. Well, you can just be whatever you want to be in church. You can do whatever you want to do in church. You can do it your way. You can do it however you want to. That's not how we come to God. That's, you know what that's called in Scripture, right? It's called the way of... The, it is the way of hogwash, but it's called something else uh, more technical in Scripture. It's the way of Cain. Right, Dennis. It's the way of Cain. Because Cain, way back then, first, first son born, first man born on earth, the first one after the fall, he, he, he wants to come and do it his way. He'd been shown. 
Cain and Abel were shown how to approach God. They were shown how they're to come to God and worship God. What did they do? They came to, to God. Cain came the way Cain wanted to. I don't, I don't like blood. I don't want to do a blood sacrifice. You know, that's, nah, that's gross. That's what we hear today. Blood's gross. We hear that in churches who will not sing about the blood of Jesus anymore because that's, that's gross. That's undignified. Folks, it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. Amen? So, so we've, we, we, Cain comes, he does it his way. That's what we're trying. That's what is trying to go on all over America today. Uh, and American Christianity may be the most liberal branch of Christianity in the world today. The Methodist Church, with the struggles that they're having now with the whole um, LGBT debate, gay marriage, all that stuff, it's the, the church in America that's the liberal. They're the ones... It's the churches over in, in Africa and stuff are going, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Y'all, 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 we're not going there. And that's where the big fight comes in. So it's, it's, it's America, folks, and it's, it's churches that we would identify with. They say, man, these churches, they believe like we believe. And yet we're seeing they don't believe like we believe. They're, they're, they're following this wokeism. They're following the, 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 the way of the left. They're sliding backwards. So just because using this thing of love, whatever, you know, we can do whatever because, of God, because God is love. And we cannot compromise the truths. The strongest language in the Bible is reserved for those who depart from revealed truth. The truths that are revealed in the Word of God, we have to hold firm to that. So there was in this church, moreover, an influential personality. There was that woman, the Scriptures, that woman, Jezebel. The name speaks volumes to those who know their Bibles. Old Testament Jezebel was a colorful character in, in more than one way. John Phillips, one of the commentaries that I read, he said this. He said, she would spend the first part of the day putting on her war paint and the rest of the day on the war path. I thought that was pretty funny, pretty clever. He said, woe be to her, her weakling husband Ahab or anyone else who stood in her way. She was the daughter of a pagan king. She imported into Israel the very worst types of heathenism. The worship of God was swept aside. And it, and it wasn't, listen, when you're talking about this, this, this Jezebel, it wasn't that Jezebel wanted there to be, you know, let's just bring in the, the idolatry and the false religions and we'll just all coexist. It wasn't any of that. It was she did everything she could to get rid of, uh, of the belief in God, the, the God of the Bible. She wanted the worship God of God to be swept aside and idolatry put in its place. So purity became a thing of the past and every form of lasciviousness was exalted as a ritual of religion. And Je Jezebel's pagan priests came down on the land like a cloud of locusts, and the saints were put to death by the sword. It was just, it was, it was, we, we uh, again, when we read those kind of stories, when we hear, read about Jezebel and, and understand that, you've got to read that in color. Don't lose the viciousness and the, of what she did and, and, and the evilness, the wickedness of that and how God ultimately judged it. Uh, all right, I got six minutes. I'm gonna read. I want to read this. This is something I found that speaks of the spirit of Jezebel. How many have ever heard that phrase? We don't hear it as much. I don't think we hear it as much in the Baptist churches. I think this is talked about actually a lot more in the charismatic churches. Really talk a lot about the spirit of Jezebel. I, I think there is a spirit of Jezebel. 
I think there, there is, and, I've, and I say that because I've experienced, I've experienced it. I've seen it firsthand. So I want to just read what I found here in, in a couple of paragraphs here. There are two incidents in the life of Jezebel that characterize her and, and may define what it means by the Jezebel spirit. One trait is her obsessive passion for domineering and controlling others, especially in the spiritual realm. When she became queen, she began to relentless, a, a relentless campaign to rid Israel of all evidence of Yahweh worship. She ordered the extermination of all the prophets of the Lord, that's found in 1 Kings chapter 18, and replaced their altars with those of Baal. Her strongest enemy was Elijah, who demanded a contest on Mount Carmel between the powers of Israel's God and the powers of Jezebel and the priests of Baal, also in chapter 18. Of course, God won, but despite having a hearing of the miraculous powers of the Lord, Jezebel refused to repent and swore on her gods that she would pursue Elijah relentlessly and take his life. Uh, her stubborn refusal to see and submit to the power of the living God would lead to her hideous end. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 9. The second incident involves a, right, uh, a righteous man named Naboth who refused to sell to Ahab land adjoining the palace, rightly declaring that to sell his inheritance would be against the Lord's command. And you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 21 and Leviticus 25. Uh, to understand that. So while Ahab sulked and fumed on his bed, Jezebel taunted and ridiculed him for his weakness, then proceeded to have the innocent Naboth framed and stoned to death. Naboth's sons were also stoned to death so that there would be no heirs and the land would revert to the possession of the king. Such a single-minded determination to have one's way, no matter who is destroyed in the process, is a characteristic of the Jezebel spirit. So Jezebel's spiritual heir and successor was in the church there at Thyatira. And uh, she was the ultimate source of all the trouble that they were experiencing. All right, we got three minutes. I'm not going to go any further. We'll finish that up next week. Yeah, we'll finish up next week. But I'll stop right there. Good stopping place. Uh, and we'll look more at this Jezebel and what she did and the judgment God had on that. All right, any, any questions or comments as we wrap up tonight?